Hello, welcome to Refigure, the podcast about arts, culture and diversity. I'm Reefa. And I'm Christopher. Hello. What have we got on the programme today, Reefa? This week we're talking about Iceland and cinema because we watch Will Ferrell's Eurovision film, but then we dived into some other Icelandic treats, in particular Balthasar Komoko's film The Deep and true crime documentary Out of Thin Air. We'll also discuss powerful new Netflix documentary Disclosure by Sam Fedder about Hollywood's depiction of transgender people in films and on TV. How are you, Chris? It's lovely weather and the pubs are full and the beach is full and the streets are full with drunk people fighting each other for breath. It's all good. Plus we saw my friend Ben today, yesterday. He actually came around our house, which was really nice. That was our first time we've had a a human friend around since, uh, well, obviously since March. So I'm very well. How are you, Ruth? Are you doing okay? Fine, thank you. We went to see the sea. The sea's still there, which is always good to know. Should we start with the easier one of the two? Should we start with Iceland? Yes, we watched the Eurovision film. I'll explain a little bit, just a little bit, the gist of it. Yeah. Okay, so if we were in the pub now, this is what I would tell you, dear listener, about this film. Ever since we were children, we've had one dream. Winning the Eurovision Song Contest. I'm Lars, this is Secret. We are Fire Saga. Who wants to hear a Eurovision song? It's called Eurovision. They could have called it something else and that probably wouldn't have got everybody's back up about it. You know, I think people quite enjoyed it. It's basically a film about a young couple who have a electro pop duo and they have always dreamt from the moment they saw ABBA, they dreamt about winning Eurovision, which is a song contest that involves all the countries of Europe and has been going since the 1970s. It's set mostly on Iceland and then for some reason the Eurovision, this particular version of it, is held in a fictitious arena in the middle of Edinburgh, which is always nice to see Edinburgh, and by the magic of the fairies and a really horrific accident that wipes out all the other Icelandic contestants, they managed to get in the finals for Eurovision. And it is all a bit silly. And there's some intrigue where Russians are trying to sabotage them. And So I'm sure people who are into Eurovision will enjoy it because there wasn't a Eurovision this year. What did you think of that, Chris? Do you know the, the BBC really took against this film and um, first... Will Gomputz wrote his weekly art review on it and slagged it off. And he only writes one review of anything in the week and he used it to slag off this film. And then about three days later, they ran a piece saying fact-checking Will Ferrell's Eurovision film. So they were like highlighting all the things they'd got wrong in the rules of the Eurovision Song Contest, but they neglected to mention elves. The film has elves in it, so I don't think... It needs to be fact-checked, BBC. There are quite a few bits I found really funny and I found the touching bits a bit touching. But then I found myself quite moved by bits that I wasn't meant to be moved by. And I think there was a few subtexts going on that I really didn't like, just the general values of the film. There were some really weird bits. I really liked um, Rachel McAdams' performance. 
And I remembered that she was in Spotlight, which is such a different film, playing such a different kind of role, and she was brilliant in that as well. But I don't find Will Ferrell that funny. He did give it a good old go, but it was really stupid, wasn't it? I mean, like, really, really stupid. It's like, what is the most amazing thing about that, really, beyond any of the film, was just a little glimpse of the Icelandic countryside. And so then we dived into a load of other Icelandic things, just for almost just for the pleasure of staring at Iceland, really. Um, and we're going to watch some more over the next couple of days as well. Did but we talk about Trapped a while ago? I think we talked about Trapped, yeah. Which also does that, it does that amazing, puts together a Nordic noir detective show but puts it on the edge of the world and you really feel the edge of the world. What do we watch with the guy swimming? That's called The Deep. And that was made by the same guy that made Trapped, which is Baltasar Kulmuka. Uh, and it stars Olafur Dorialfsson, who goes on to be the detective Andri in Trapped. And I wonder if this is the first time those two work together, because then they've gone on to work together again in quite a major way. What I like about some of these noirs is that they remind me of what we liked about Fargo. You know, it's really slow. The characters are like, seem like small town detectives, but actually they have a lot of knowledge about the community and about what's going on. And then there's some really dark stuff that goes on as well on this island where everybody seems to know each other. But the Deep's quite different. So the Deep is about a horrible fishing accident that happens and a whole bunch of people die quite early on in the film. And the main character watches all these people, like either they die almost immediately when the boat capsizes in the North Atlantic, which is super cold <laughs> and he's yeah. he's determined to survive and he swims in the general direction of land in the middle of the night with just a sort of seagull for company and the moon it's one of those films where that's the majority of the film where we're watching him have these flashbacks and this journey in freezing cold water and he swims for like six hours to get to the other side. And then when he reaches land, he survives. And then he goes through this really weird process of becoming an experiment because it's unheard of pretty much ever that a human can survive that long in that cold water. Like most of his, most of the other sailors are, even if they don't drown immediately, they're dead in like less than an hour of just floating around in the water. So he ends up being experimented on and becoming a kind of, science celebrity not necessarily i mean he's willing he goes along with it but he definitely doesn't enjoy it and that half of the story is really fascinating as well so you get this you kind of get a film of two halves it's all a true story and it's clearly been quite faithfully told what happened and they still never come to any kind of conclusion what one of the bits i like is he gets tested in freezing cold water and his breathing and to see if there's anything particularly different or strange about him. In fact, he's not a very fit bloke and he's quite fat. And there's three other Marines who get in the water with him and they test them and they don't last five minutes. They have to get out of the water. And for some reason, this guy can do that. It's interesting because it, it sort of 
plays to the idea of people on Iceland or who've grown up in these um, extreme circumstances. Like the Iceland is a pretty horrific place to live if you haven't already grown up there and you've got used to those sorts of temperatures and he's probably swum in that water himself. But but the fact, you know, that he just has this ability, you know, that's something that occasionally people are able to do, like yogis in the Himalayas. And then we watched this fascinating crime, true crime documentary out of thin air, also about Iceland, about these two disappearances in the early 70s in Iceland and how a group of kind of small time hoods got basically blamed for it and what happened to them. The way that they present this documentary is that these horrific crimes have happened, that these young people have like got together They've done some drugs. They've cut up. They've kidnapped somebody. They've they've cut them up. They've buried the body, um, and then they've done the same to somebody else. And it's a really bizarre documentary because even at the end, there are people who still believe that these kids did it, mm. and then a whole bunch of people who believe that it wasn't. You know. Yeah, and it doesn't really solve. It doesn't solve the case. It just reflects on those people's decisions and lives and what happened to them and also it kind of plays to that idea that i was saying before about in this these small communities the pressure that's put on the police who aren't used to dealing with murders or disappearances and the bodies were never found and how they dealt with this particular case in the 70s when everything was a bit wild west everywhere around the world in the 1970s and people just police seem to get away with murder for all themselves but they are such extremely hardy, tough as nails, you know, hard as nails people on Iceland. Yeah. What well, did you mess think with about? Nature. Um, do, do you think you like? So I only went to Iceland for the first time at the beginning of this year, and you haven't been yet. Do you think that watching kind of a swath of things from the same place has given you an impression of that place? I think so. I mean, when we watched Woman at War. We saw a lot of the countryside, but we also saw how kind of scared of foreigners they are still, you know, and it's a kind of, it's such a close knit community and it's much more, has much more in common with, with Norway and Denmark and Sweden, those kinds of countries than Scotland and Wales and certainly England. It has its a very proud heritage and culture that is like alien to influence. Although when you said that there were a lot of Thai restaurants and different kinds of places to eat for example that makes me think wow there are people from all over the world going to these interesting places because they don't have i don't know i'm trying to say like we need people everywhere you know like iceland can't be isn't an island onto itself you know it has to open up its borders for other people to come and like live and work just like when you go to like remote places like galway it's like full of people from all over the world yeah, I think people maybe who don't travel that much don't realise that yet, that the corners of the world that we still think of slightly parochially as very exotic and with their very defined cultures are also full of everybody. Everybody yeah. who travels is there. So you go to Iceland and you can get fantastic Thai food. You go to Thailand, I'm not sure if you can get fantastic Icelandic food, but you can certainly get fantastic Mexican food or um, pretty good pasta in, in northern thailand like everyone's yeah. everywhere even the most closed off places where they have 
very carefully limited tourism and, and international travel, for example, somewhere like Bhutan, is still full of Westerners and people from China and people from India all making their way, either travelling or working or whatever. It just globalisation happened and it can't be really unrolled. And we don't want it to be unrolled because it means more interesting staff and more interesting choice and a greater variety of things. Like They also have a really brilliant political system. Mm. When, I mean, they're the only country in the world that locked up their bankers after the bankers' crisis in the 70s. All the women went out on strike. We've talked about this before. But to answer your question, I would quite like to go, but I am really, really scared of cold. I don't like being cold at all. It's bad enough in Bryson, let alone going to somewhere like Iceland. Even Sweden and and um, Denmark, I found really super cold in like autumn for yeah. them. So I'm not going to say no, but I find that kind of atmosphere really distressing. And if there's one thing that will make you really love it compared to those other cold places, it's the supply of hot water and the fact that you can get <laughs> like saunas absolutely everywhere for free. And so even though it's cold... Like, for example, that there are open air heated saunas in hotels where you kind of go out and you're thinking, oh, it's really cold. And then you get in and it's really hot water. From what I've seen, it is absolutely stunningly beautiful and there's hardly anybody there. Um, Yeah. So, yes, that was three films about Iceland. Eurovision on Netflix, uh, The Deep, which is on Amazon Prime and Out of Thin Air, which is also on Netflix? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Out of thin air. Disclosure is a brand new documentary movie uh, made for Netflix. Uh, It was made by Sam Fedder and it is a history of how Hollywood has depicted transgender people both in the kind of history of cinema and also on TV. We've been around since there was uh, footage. You just have to look for us. Can we all just talk about D.W. Griffith for a minute? Not only is he incredibly racist, but he turned gender non-conforming people into the joke. So it's like you can't have like queer trans people and blackness in the same space at the same time. So what's to say about my queer trans black ass? They've died so many times, they can't even count on camera. I've been a prostitute, prostitute one, prostitute two, call girl, hooker, you know? The crying game created a ripple effect. You are a trans person who existed, made people physically ill, was the way in which my favorite movie as a child ended. There are lots of ugly things about our history, but I think we have to know them. the strength of the impression that we've all got growing up by these depictions of trans people that I'd forgotten about but are, with hindsight, watching them now, just totally shocking, uh, has really coloured how we see trans people. It's sort of embedded in us a kind of all sorts of things, like a suspicion of trans people and a kind of scepticism about them. It is a combination of clips from films and TV telling this history and lots of talking heads of uh, now often successful trans actors and directors and filmmakers talking about their experiences growing up witnessing this stuff. Reefa, what did you think of this documentary? I absolutely loved it. I thought it was excellent. I watched it 
and I've told everybody about it now because it was really moving. So it starts with the beginning of cinema. There's a lot of talking heads, a lot of stuff, clips that are really difficult to watch. We all have prejudices because we've been conditioned over and over again by watching these sorts of films. And they even talk about films that are that we kind of think of as seminal films that are talking about these issues and are probably quite sympathetic than we thought they were at the time, like The Crying Game. But I won't go into it, but the the whole uh, the discovery of, of the main character's uh, trans status causes a physical reaction to the other character. And that becomes a trope in loads of other films, including Ace Ventura. And to hear trans actors and directors talking about that experience growing up and watching these films that they loved is really powerful and understanding that they're part of our society you know more and more of us are educating ourselves into understanding more about trans people and in Brighton we have a big LGBT community and trans people get vilified by gay the gay community and lesbian community as well let alone like all the academics that want to debate whether or not trans people should even exist this documentary really shows clearly the history from the beginning of time about how white cis men have like dominated film production and direction, how their perception of what especially trans women have been throughout throughout the history have made us all kind of not just suspicious, but angry and upset and violent and murderous too to trans women especially whereas trans women don't even get a look in and half the time in these films they are depicted by women who aren't trans or men that aren't trans a few films that i that have um distorted history like the stonewall film that was shocking i mean how am i supposed to know as a punter if i watched the stonewall film that the the stonewall cafe was full of drag queens and trans people and and people who were right on the edge of society and whereas in the film it's depicted by white preppy kind of quite straight acting gay men greenwich village it's just fascinating and it makes you really sympathetic to how even People like Oprah would get trans people on early on and be um, colluding with the audience to ridicule trans women especially and talk about their surgery and talk about really personal stuff and how it's only really recently because there's more debate and, and talk about trans people and their issues and rights that we've even had these conversations. So this is a really important documentary because it really quickly and accessibly and with the voices of real trans people which is super important how we've gone from early days of cinema and depictions of eunuchs and I don't know cross-dressing and the words that we use then to now how we define and how we talk about trans issues knowing how important it is to have trans people at the center of their own stories you know trans people depicted in their own productions which is why Pose and people like Laverne Cox and Janet Mock are really important role models for a whole new generation of people that haven't seen themselves on screen before. What did you think of it Chris? Well it was a very moving documentary and I thought of myself going in as a trans ally anyway so a part of me was almost hesitant to watch it thinking well I don't need to watch this and then it blew my mind some elements of the tropes that have become normalised 
that I realised I had normalised. So there's stuff about Silence of the Lambs being such a seminal film and including with it a verbal distancing from Buffalo Bill being a trans character. So uh, Jodie Foster's character says trans people are not serial killers. But then that portrayal is so all the way through the film and powerful that that still leaves this residual memory in loads of people of that's what a trans person is. The examples of films and TV that definitely thought they were being progressive and doing something new and helping marginalised communities, but in fact, because of the way they did it, Max's story in The L Word, I'd forgotten completely, but the way that Max is portrayed as a kind of a traitor and a bad uh, a bad guy uh, for being a trans guy rather than being a butch lesbian is fascinating because The L Word was so important and influential to generations of young people that you think well if that was a that was a thing that no one's criticized and no one's mentioned and a generation of young women grew up with the l word as being a very important positive part of their thing but i also loved at the same time how compassionate the documentary was so you mentioned oprah but they made a real point of saying we're not going to flinch from showing what oprah was like early on but that's not how we're going to leave it and we're going to show how Oprah has grown and learned. It's quite a forgiving documentary as well of people. Yeah, and they do talk about how everybody in the in the documentary goes on their journey. So they are all the trans people in it are super compassionate about people understanding them and their own journey, which is which is really commendable. And what I loved as well towards the end where we talked to uh, some other actors who have you know completely passed into Hollywood's films and you wouldn't know that they were they'd ever transitioned and how some of them have like come out more recently because they feel like it's safe to do so oh wow that was so moving it's a really important documentary and and those of us who think that you know it's a fight that we shouldn't really get involved in or it's just all too weird or whatever you think about trans people we've we've all gone on a journey as well to uh, educate ourselves and understand more about this community. Although obviously everybody's different, not everybody's an activist in the trans community. Everyone's got different ways of expressing themselves and what they want to look like as well. And some of that they talk about as well, the hyper-sexualized femininity of certain people who want to change their look is somehow another issue for debate. These films seem so familiar to you. And even Sex in the City, they talk about the othering of these these people. Obviously, some of these things that we watched in the 90s and 2000s, like Friends and Sex in the City, and even Girls, you know, they, they wiped out black people in New York. You know, there are no black characters at all in any of these, let alone trans people. So any people that did turn up that were different were really vilified. I'd encourage everybody to have a go with it. Some of it is really difficult from the beginning where there's some blackface to later. Um, but the seminal things to think about are Pose and Orange is the New Black and how important those particular series were and are still. And also um, Sense8 as well. So that was another interesting thing where we saw the directors of The Matrix are both transitioned yeah, now. Yeah, and they they were included in another documentary that we watched, The Women Make Film, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, as women who make film because trans women are women. It's a culture war because the whole world that's dominated by cis men want us to be arguing amongst ourselves. And I think you, you'll know that you'll want to be on the right side of history. 
so that was Disclosure, and it's on Netflix. It's a documentary. Watch it. What are you reading for? What are you reading for? What are you reading for? What are you reading this week? So I think I talked about this book already <laughs> back in like season one of our podcast. But I lent it, I gave it to our lovely friend Sonetta, who is whose birthday it is this week, and I hadn't actually finished it. So I thought rather than try and get the book back from her, which obviously I'd given it to her for a reason, um, I would just get a new copy of it. And it's all about love by the American philosopher and feminist Bell Hooks. And it's interesting because I saw it referenced a couple of times this week because Brené Brown, who is from Texas, a, a, a white woman who I've talked about her book, Daring, her, one of her books, Daring Greatly, she's become this academic who talks a lot about relationships and compassion. And she, refer- she says that she comes back to this book time and time again, which was written in 2000, published in 2000. And it is a fascinating book. It's called All About Love. And she talks about the qualities that we need to understand that love is not it's not different love for romance and lust. It's the same energy, the same love. Love is an action, and that's the only way we're going to change the world. I've annotated this to, to hell because it's got so many different sentences are just gold. Whole pages are gold. Each is a little essay about love. So it starts with grace, clarity, justice, learning how to love your children and communicate, talk to them in a way that will make them grow up to understand that love isn't domination and how most of us sort of are brought up by people who kind of don't know how to love and haven't been loved themselves. So then they pass that on to their kids. And then in as we grow older, we end up wanting to have that void filled by partners who also don't have the capacity. And she goes into it so in depth. And then we get into honesty, commitment and spirituality sort of divine love and then there's like values in our community and she also talks in the sort of socialist and feminist terms about greed and how people uh, are more materialistic and less community driven all kinds of stuff and it's a really fascinating book and really accessible and I find her writing so kind of deep but accessible so she references so many self-help books that help try and help people about relationships and often some of them are really gendering and and sexist like men are from mars and women are from venus for example but at the same time she might reference marianne williamson who whose book return to love and another book she wrote about america was really an important piece of work that a lot of americans just didn't have the capacity to understand and then she'll talk about Little Kim as well. So it's a brilliant academic book, but really accessible and fun to read. And at the moment, we are, haven't been listening to these voices or we kind of don't even know they exist. Bell Hooks is one of the most important philosophers of the 21st century. What are you reading? I'm reading uh, Priyamvada Gopal's book. It's a history book called Insurgent Empire, Anti-Colonial Resistance and British Descent. And um, I mainly bought it because Priyamveda came under a sort of a big sustained attack on social media over the past few weeks. It's a history of the moments where British colonies resisted their occupation and their colonial uh, oppression. 
And I think the underlying sort of point she's making in the book is that we think of empire as having wound itself up. One of the ways we falsely praise ourselves as Brits, there's a right-wing false narrative that says, at the time each country was ready to rule itself, we let it rule itself, and that's why we've got the Commonwealth, and aren't we nice? And the, I think she's done a phenomenal job. I mean, I'm only about a third of the way through, but it's excellent, readable, rigorous history uh, on the academic side, but not too academic to, to sort of make my head spin. It's really brilliantly written, very vivid, and it tells the story of all the different places and times where people were taking control of their own liberation from the British Empire and how the British Empire was forced to concede ground in many instances. I mean, it's just another example of, over and over again, the pure malevolence of the British Empire that we, in order to make ourselves feel comfortable, tend to paint as being flawed but with a kind of underlying positive intent or something. And I think she demolishes that notion. Insurgent Empire, Anti-Colonial Resistance and British Descent. And it's by Priyamveda Gopal. And that's our show. Woohoo! Nice. Thank you very much for listening. Slick. Give us a five-star review. Keep listening, keep subscribing, tell your friends. The British Podcast Awards are coming up. We're going to win all the awards. And uh, we're coming towards the end of lockdown. Obviously, they've lubricated lockdown, I was going to say then. They've loosened lockdown over the past couple of weeks. We're going to carry on doing this for a few more weeks, but we will stop once it begins to feel like life has gone back to, in inverted commas, normal. If you'd like to follow us on Facebook, we are at wearefacebook.com slash refigurepod. If you want to visit if you want to visit us at Instagram, we are Instagram.com slash we are at refigure UK. And Twitter is at refigurepod. It'd be lovely to see you. And we'll talk to you again next week. Clicky clicky click click. Would you like to say goodbye to the boys and girls? Goodbye. Goodbye. Don't fly.